It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February 21st, 2013. We're glad that you're a part of the program tonight. Look forward to your participation. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me to my right, your left. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to our discussion. We think we have an important discussion and uh, hopefully it'll be very informative. We look forward to the discussion and uh, we do, as I mentioned, look forward to your participation at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com and to the chat window to the right of your video window if you're watching us on the live feed tonight. We also have some in-guest helpers tonight. Uh, first off, Monty is behind the board. And, Monty, uh, welcome back to the program. It's been a few weeks, uh, but, but uh, we're glad that you're here. Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be here tonight. And uh, also uh, joining us, uh, Nick uh, Law from Jennings, Florida, is here. And, uh, Nick, uh, welcome back to the program. It's been a while, but glad you're back. Thanks. It's good to be with you again. Look forward to the study. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you as well. And, uh, Dad, we have an interesting topic planned, a topic that uh, you've gotten some, quite a bit of feedback on this afternoon. Yes. Uh, we were advised of a, of a blog by one of our listeners that often responds to yeah, our emails. Ram, Ramona in Texas sent me a link to a blog, and she was quite concerned about it. The blog was about situation ethics. Yes. And uh, she was very disturbed by some of the things that were being suggested uh, and wanted it, uh, maybe us to discuss the subject. So I contacted the author of the blog and asked him to join us, and he declined to do so. But we still feel like the information that he was uh, discussing uh, is worthy of consideration. And we need to get a good handle on this question. I think it's it's an increasingly popular view. You know, you know it's a, it's a philo- situation ethics is a philosophical position that goes way yes. back. Yes. But it seems to me that in our day and time, more and more people, are, and even a lot of people who identify themselves as Christians, are sort of going along the route of situation ethics, that sometimes, although usually wrong, sometimes some things might be okay based upon the circumstance that you find yourself in. And so that's sort of what we want to talk about tonight. All right. Uh, we do want to talk about that. 877-381-4567. Let us know your thoughts on that. This is... This was, as the uh, blog writer, hopefully our, our listeners had an opportunity to read that uh, blog post. Uh, it was very interesting. And as the, the writer there mentioned, it was a very hot topic uh, several years ago. It's, it's not as hot a topic today, but I don't know that necessarily the thinking on the subject has changed and therefore the preaching is not uh, required on it. I'm afraid that maybe more and more people have adopted uh, the, the reason why it's not more contra- comfortable, or yeah. more comfortable with it. The reason it's kind of lost its air of controversy is because maybe more people have accepted it and therefore not willing to debate the issue. All right. Well, what did uh, what did you, you 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 got some you got some people stirred up today? I got one one fellow in particular was stirred up. But let's let's start into this, Jacob. By uh, I'm not going to read all these quotes. We've got we picked out five quotes from the blog, and I I gave the link to the blog. Uh, in our update, I want everybody. I mean, we're not trying to just pick and choose, or you know, sort of not be full in context. We're not going to be able to to quote everything in the blog, but the link to the blog was in the update we sent out earlier today. Yeah. And for those who might want to find it, um, you can go to keithbrenton.com. That's k-e-i-t-h-b-r-e-n-t-o-n.com. Uh, and the, the blog post was on February 11th, 2013, about situation ethics. Okay. So you can find Keith Brenton's blog, and by all means, read what he has to say. We think some of it is off base. Okay. Uh, we'll get to that as we go along. And uh, you asked some questions about it earlier today. Yeah. Do we need to go over those now, or should we just... Uh... No, we'll just take them one at a time. Okay, we'll What's take them it? as they come. Uh, and so the first thing that we want to talk about, and it's really not even... 
directly connected with the subject of situation ethics. The first question is, what about people who are unwilling to discuss their differences? Well, you know, this was the, this was the second time in a week. In two weeks, yeah. In two weeks that you that had this response. People put out, you know, this is, and, and maybe that's why I, I, I wanted to talk about this, because two different times, not only Mr. Brenton, but another uh, author who put out what I thought was a fairly outrageous statement. A member of the Church of Christ. Put out a fairly outrageous uh, article. Yeah. Sent it out widely. Yeah. Uh, and then refused to discuss it when we suggested let's just have an open discussion. We didn't. We, we, we weren't like pulling him in to beat him up. We just wanted to bring him on and and challenge him on. It. Yeah. Because it was so outrageous. I mean, you surely would have to defend something. And, and I and, think you used the analogy, Jacob, sort of like kicking the hornet's nest and then being surprised if some hornets stir up. Yeah. You know, and you have to deal with them. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And this, this, I think this, this blog post was meant to be somewhat uh, well, inciting. Yeah, and it, I think it was in, intended to incite a reaction by the way it started. And Monty, this is quote one. Monty's going to try to get these quotes up on the screen. Okay, screens. now this is getting a little technical, so we're going to have to be careful here. Monty, don't uh, don't strain anything over there, but we've got to try. Did you get it up? It's up. Oh, it's oh, up. Okay, okay, good. So here's the first quote, and this is the way Mr. Brenton started his blog. Forty and fifty years ago, Christian preachers of every stripe, color, and denomination so soundly and roundly condemned this philosophical principle that people have feared to even utter the words lest they be laughed at for their stupidity as they be spirited away by hell's flame-winged demons. I have no fear of these two words, situation ethics. I have no fear of the philosophical principle which they describe, and I have no fear of people who would roundly and soundly condemn me for uttering them and defending that principle. Well... I don't know about you, but that's that's that quote sounds rather inciting. It does. And so I just I after reading his blog, I I sent him a message and asked him if he if he would care to. It was a very it was a very polite message, I must yeah. admit. Let me read what I sent to yeah. him. I said, Keith, my name is Greg Gwynn. I preach for the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. I just found your blog. In fact, it was forwarded to me by someone else. I read your comments about situation situation ethics with great interest. I'd have some differences with some of your conclusion, and that's why I'm writing. We do an Internet program called the Virtual Bible Study. It airs via live audio and video streaming every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. And I gave him the link. Would you do us the favor of an interview on this topic? While we disagree to some extent, I assure you that we would conduct the discussion in a fair and courteous way. You can check out some of our past programs where we have interviewed people from various denominations and so forth. We'd love to have a 30-minute phone discussion to search out this issue more thoroughly. Would you be available this Thursday or some upcoming Thursday evening? Thanks. Well, that, Monty was supposed to advance the slide. He didn't. No, no, that, oh, he, he doesn't okay. have that slide. Okay, he, doesn't have, no, he, he doesn't have that slide. Okay, yeah, so uh, that was uh, very polite, very kind. That's what I sent to him, and he said, thanks for your kind offer, but I will decline. That's what he said. That's it. So I wrote him back and said, okay, sorry that we won't be able to discuss this. It would have been informative and helpful. I'm surprised that you declined after your comments in the blog where you said, I have no fear of these two words, situation ethics. I have no fear of the philosophical principle which they describe, and I have no fear of people who would roundly and soundly condemn me for uttering them and defending that principle. Well, you weren't gonna, we weren't going to roundly and soundly condemn him. We were just going to challenge him. Yeah, we just wanted to discuss it and see, see where our issues uh, you know the, the exact definition of our issues, how we disagreed, and why. That discourse uh, prompted a very stern rebuke uh, by someone who identifies themselves as Simon Barjona. I don't think that's the real Simon Barjona. I don't think so. I don't think he had yeah. email. Yeah, but but that's the that's the pen okay. name that this fellow uses. Okay. Uh, I'll read it because he's getting on to you, and it, yeah, be, yeah. it might be uncomfortable for you to read that not to yourself. Yet. It's not. Unless you have some proof, he says, that Mr. Benton flat out refused to come on your show, I think you owe him an apology for misrepresenting Mr. Brenton. The exchange between you and him on his website is polite on his part, but on your part, your second statement was inflammatory because someone has concerns that far outweigh coming on your little show. That was his stated reason. That doesn't give you the license to portray him as a shriveling coward. And you, do you know that those who, uh, what those concerns are? Probably not. His wife was just diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She has been given a short time to live, and his daughter is battling severe depression. It's all right there on his blog if you care to read it. The man did no wrong in turning down your request, and, you, uh, and yet you heartlessly portrayed him as a coward. You should be ashamed of yourself, Greg. We demand more of you than cheap shots like this. Well, you know, and first, first off, 
certainly, you know, sympathies and concerns for Mr. Brenton and his wife. You didn't know that. I had no idea that, and I actually went back and looked at the blog today. I don't think that that was posted until this week. Right. This, this exchange. He'd been dealing with it uh, prior to this, it looks like, but it wasn't posted in public for public I, I, knowledge. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even look at his yeah. whole yeah. blog site. I mean, there's, there's, there's dozens of articles there. I, so I was dealing with, I was dealing with this one, and I didn't yeah. know. But I mean, certainly, we're concerned for yeah. him, and and, and, hope, and I can understand if he doesn't have time right now to come on a program. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely so right. We but so, but so, yes. you know. I didn't call him a coward. I just suggested, you know, that that we're sorry that he's unwilling to to respond when he boldly said, "I'm not afraid of people who disagree with me on this right, subject." Right. You know, we, and he didn't need to be afraid of us. I'm not. I don't think he is afraid of us. But I am concerned about this. And and again, this is why we brought it up, Jay. If you're going to put something out there publicly, you need to be ready to defend it. Yeah. You know, and we try to do that with the virtual Bible study. I mean, we, we've got a, sort of an open door policy here. Right. Someone disagrees with them, the first someone disagrees with us, the first thing we do is invite them to come on the program to talk with us about it. Yeah. In fact, I invited this Simon Barjona to come on the program and right. talk about it, and, yeah. he, and he didn't respond. If you're but, listening tonight, Simon Barjona, we would well, welcome you to call or, or yeah, join but, the program. Join yeah, we're just about open discussion. We're not here. trying to be ugly. We're not trying to be oh, ugly. Anyway, and we've got, we've talked with people who disagree with us much more than this uh, this blogger does. And uh, at the end of the discussion, they've always been friendly and thanked us for letting us letting them come on to discuss. Yeah, I don't understand why people but are the, but the, to talk. the bottom line thing that, that I want to stress here is if we're going to teach publicly, we have to be ready for public response to what we teach. You know, if you, you have a, if you have a blog, the very nature of a blog is that it's open and public. And you're actually asking people to read what you have to say. And there's even a place there for response to what you say. So if you get a response... To what you said, you shouldn't be too surprised by that, and you ought to be willing to back up what you or said. Or if you publish or a bulletin article. I mean, Anything. the idea or is you're, you're trying to get people pre- to think. Or if you preach a sermon and someone disagrees, you should you Defend should be what, what you said. Yeah, believe. exactly right. So okay. uh, anyway, that's the question I ask. What do you think about this? What do you think about Mr. Brenton's refusal to discuss the issue when he wrote so boldly, I'm not afraid of anyone who disagrees with me on this? Okay. Right. So we got a few answers All here. Right. Jim in Kentucky says... If you're, in the chat room. if you're going to write a blog and by its very nature be public, then why refuse to respond to questions? He says on his comments area of this blog that he refuses to discuss it with you because I know when I'm being goaded, which suggests to me that he is suspicious yet without evidence. Such ones are not often found practicing truth but looking for ways to stir the pot without being caught. Thank you, Jim. And uh, Ramona is in Texas, and uh, she is the one who... She, you into this blog. Yeah, and she's a little less charitable. Well, she says Mr. Brenton is uh, spluttering around in his own situation ethics stupidity. He is just making it up as he goes to fit his own lifestyle. He thinks he can get away with it, but we'll find out eventually it was wrong. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He did not say, depending on the situation, you will keep my commandments. Paul described those of situation ethics as lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. Second to me, three, uh, three, two through four. All right. Uh, All right. Chris in Atlanta was more charitable. Okay. He said, I really can't make a judgment concerning his refusal to discuss. He may have had prior commitments or something, and it turns out that he did. He does his wife's have, very yeah. sick. Yes. We didn't know that, yeah. and, we're, and we're certainly but sorry. You weren't even, but regardless, you weren't ugly to him. And yeah. you, no, that's no. right. He no. says, not that I'm defending his views, but his statement above simply states he does not care if people disagree with him. Hopefully he has the attitude of being willing to discuss his views with others whenever he's able as we all should be willing to do that. And that's uh, what Chris just said there is, is what we're talking about. We've got to be ready to discuss things with people, especially if they disagree with us. We should be ready to discuss. Chris in the U.K. says, first, you can always mention a topic no matter what it may be, but what matters is how you deal with it. So he has no fear as to defending the position or those who would counter it. Not turning up to the debate doesn't back that up. So Chris says you ought to, you ought to be willing to discuss. If you're going to make a statement, you ought to be willing to, to defend it. And, and – uh, Nick, I would think that would be our obligation. If if someone challenges us, Nick, if I challenged you, I said, uh, Nick, I don't agree with you what, on what you believe about baptism. You shouldn't just say, well, I, that's fine. I don't want to talk about it. You ought to be willing to, to defend your position. Actually, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 to be always ready to give an answer to every man of the reason of the hope that is within us with meekness and fear. So we do need to turn to the scriptures and uh, try to see uh, the defense that we would uh, give for whatever we stand for spiritually. All right. 877-381-4567 is the number to call. It's about time for a break, and I think a good t- position for a break here. So 
We'll go ahead and get that break in now. We'd like to hear your thoughts. The chat room is uh, full tonight, and uh, the, ch- the comments are coming in, so we want to hear them. We're going to get on to the meat of the subject, though. What about situation ethics? We want to talk about that on the uh, uh, as we get back from the break. Uh, your next question was, uh, does he truly identify situation ethics with his explanation? What do you think the, the doctrine and the position of situation ethics is? What is, would be the definition that you would use? We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study will continue right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. When you talk, you repeat what you already know. When you listen, you often learn something. If you're not closer to heaven today than you were yesterday, check your roadmap. You may have taken a wrong turn. There's no pillow so soft as a clear conscience. There are some whose faith is not strong enough to bring them to services, but they expect it to take them to heaven. Man, I wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, and we welcome you back. And um, we want to talk about situation ethics. What about, uh, what about this? Uh, Anthony has uh, sent in an email late to the party tonight, but we'll let him in. He says, uh, in response to your question about the guy who would not... Uh, discuss his uh, position i suppose keith is just saying he, he doesn't worry that folks will disagree with him what i find sad is that he suggested greg's invitation was goading this seems hasty and unfounded to me we should all be willing to give an answer to those who simply want to know why we believe or practice a certain thing or to those who just want more clarification i'm also disturbed by the tone of keith's words in this quotation speaking uh, gl- get glibly about hell and uh, eternal punishment okay all yeah, right yes. and then patrick in birmingham says he politely refused, and that's his prerogative to do so. It is probably human nature to assume that if someone declines to discuss a matter or defend it, then that must mean that they don't believe they have a legitimate defense. Now, and we didn't say that either. No. We didn't say he didn't have a defense. We just, just said, said you know, it's, it's a shame to bring a subject up and then not want to defend. He says, however, I don't think that we should be eager to condemn a person or his beliefs on that basis alone. Perhaps he simply is better able to express himself in written form and not very eloquent in the spoken word. Uh, not very eloquent in the spoken word. Or I perhaps he simply would prefer not to enter into a potentially contentious situation. All of that's possibly true. But I'll tell you something. If if I am, uh, you know, just sort of timid and not willing to enter into potentially contentious discussions, then I got I think I have to take a, uh, consider whether or not I need to be publishing stuff, such stuff, uh you know, for the public to read. If I'm not willing to back, I, I guess I I just believe if you're going to put it out there, you got to be willing to back it up. That's well, I don't even think it. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be willing to back up what you believe. And yeah. we we often we ask for interviews a lot, and we it's not it's not, it doesn't hurt our feelings to get turned down. It happens pretty often, but every time we do, we scratch our heads. Why would you turn down the opportunity to you teach know, people who disagree with you where yeah. you where you stand? You know, for instance, uh, we have tried numerous times to get some local Baptist preachers right here in our Middle Tennessee yeah. area to join us on the virtual Bible study to talk about our differences. And, I mean, we have just struck out, mostly. We've had we, a few. David Baker has been very and, kind and, to and, be on and, twice. And then another fellow from Mount Pleasant. I don't remember his name. Yeah. He was, and we, so there have been some, but there have been a lot of no responses. Yeah. I'll tell you, if a Baptist church invited me to be on their program to discuss differences, I'd be there with bells on. Yeah. You know, what? If if we have a chance to talk with someone that you think is in error on a subject, seems to me like you'd be excited for the opportunity. We've got to move on, but I remember about six years ago, I was talking with a Baptist on the phone. I said, I'd like, like you to come on and talk to us about what you believe about baptism, and I don't know what exactly it was that we're talking about, but very, very substantial differences. 
And his response, well, I don't really like to talk about that stuff. He said, I just, I, I think of that as uh, coffee shop theology. Just sort of, oh, that's just stuff you kick around, but it doesn't really matter. If it doesn't matter, then, you know, again, the, I guess what really struck me odd was when he said, I have no fear of people who would roundly and soundly condemn me for uttering the words situation ethics and for defending that principle. Well, he hasn't really defended the principle. He says he's not afraid to, but he says he's not. He, All right, let's go on. Right, we beat we, that we, Yeah, we got that point. We made okay. that point. It's not even, okay. All ahead. right, so let's get to the to, to the root subject here, situation ethics. Yes. And I asked, do you think, here's what he, here's a quote, and this would be quote number two, Monty. Does he truly identify situation ethics with this explanation? He said, let me state this plainly. Not every possible action we can take is in and of itself morally right or morally evil. Some actions are morally neutral. We perform thousands of them each day, tying a shoe, walking out of a house, driving away in a car. It is the situation in which these actions or objects are found that can make them morally right or wrong. Tying someone else's shoes together without their knowledge is wrong. Tying your own shoes together is stupid, but at least you're only wronging yourself. Walking out of a house that's on fire without telling one else, anyone else that it's a flame is wrong. Driving away in a car you've just stolen is wrong. You get the point. And now, my question was, is that really what situation ethics is all about? Has he identified the philosophical position that has been known for a long time as situation ethics, dating back a long time ago, but men like Joseph Fletcher talked about situation ethics. And, and, and by the way, I've got some quotes here from Fletcher's book uh, in, in, in which uh, his book entitled Situation Ethics. That, I don't think that, that um, uh, Mr. Brenton here has really identified the issue. I, it does not appear that he has. And uh, let's see what our listeners have said here. You know, the idea is you, you walk out of a car, uh, walk out of a house, it's okay. But if you walk out of the house when it's on fire and you don't tell other people, then that's a problem. Or you tie your shoe. Yeah, that's sort of, it seems yeah. like he's really uh, trying to stretch it there. Uh, Jim is says in uh, Kentucky says, when we discuss situation ethics, we're talking about the system whereby right or morality is decided by the outcome which benefits us most. A person wants to get rich. They can work hard all their life and end up with slightly more than others, or they can steal the money. With situation ethics, they will steal the money because that satisfies the outcome they want. Or they will cheat in their place of work because it allows them to have more money. The concept of that which is morally right is ignored if it does not provide the outcome we desire. Specific uh, People employ situation ethics, in my view, specifically because I uh, because they do the right uh they don't want to do the right or correct thing as far as scriptures are concerned. Uh, if they do, then they will not uh, get the outcome they desire. Uh, thus, they find a way to get the outcome and justify whatever means was used to obtain it. Having said this, Mr. Britton's definition is not situation ethics. I think anyone agrees that not every event in life is morally right or wrong, but we are not talking about individual events. We're talking about uh, a way of living. An action may be morally neutral, but the means we employ to bring it about uh, determine whether or not situation ethics is involved. I can go to worship and it be morally correct and scripturally the right thing to do. But if I steal a car because my car is not working and justify my actions by using scripture to show the necessity of worship on the first day of week, I have still employed situation ethics. I justify by my actions because they bring about the result I desire. Yeah, I, I agree with what Jim said. No, notice in, in the quote that we had, he said, driving a car... He says, he says, driving away in a car. Then he says, driving in a car, away in a car that you've stolen. No, in other words, driving away in a car is not wrong. That's a morally neutral act. Driving away in a car you've stolen is wrong. Well, that's two different acts. Driving a car is one thing. Stealing a car is something else. And, and so he's tried to equate things that, that, I mean, are not even on the same subject. You know, it's, it's, Driving, a, driving away in a stolen car, the issue is not driving. It's not about driving. It's about stealing. And so I, I just don't think he's hit the mark here when he's, when he's tried to identify situation ethics. Uh, Ramona but, in uh, Texas says, Everything we do and say in this lifetime is either morally right or morally evil. But the examples he gives are ludicrous and do not involve situation ethics. There's nothing sinful about driving a car and uh, does not even point to situation ethics. But if we hurt other people with that car, then it would be a sin, maybe through our own neglect. Where in the Bible does it talk about morally neutral situations? Does he give chapter and verse for this? No. Suppose we die and are judged by God, and we say that a particular day we ate three healthy square meals. 
We won't be punished for this, but we won't be rewarded either. Okay. All right. Um, I mean, I think I think I, I wouldn't argue with the fact that there are certain things that are morally neutral. Nick, I mean, are we going to have uh, we going to have cake or ice cream for dessert? I mean, I don't guess God really cares, does he? I suppose, as I think of Colossians 3, verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father by him. So whatever we do, or that would be our action. Even whatever, eating, whatever even even say, eating cake yep. or, or okay, ice cream. Maybe I was wrong. So, so that's correct. I mean, either I'm, right or wrong. I'm either authorized to do it or I'm not. That's good. Yeah, yeah, driving right. that you're car is going to depend upon whether you're violating principles of the word of God yeah. or not as what makes it right or wrong. That's true. It's true. And so uh, that verse is just telling us that whatever we do, we need to have it authorized by God and not and, violate and, any principles. Nick, and I think there was, a, there was a gentleman in the congregation where you were not too many years ago that used to tell you if you're not right, you're wrong. That's correct. All right, so that's the neutral there. <laughs> I, I think, Nick, you make a really great point there. Uh, I mean, everything we do is either an authorized act or it's not. You know, And so God doesn't care whether I drive a Ford or a Chevy, but he cares that I have... the the authority to drive that car and that I drive it lawfully. And, and so, I mean, God doesn't care about some choices, but there's a right and a wrong about such choices. Okay, that's good. Okay. Um, uh, Chris in Atlanta says, I understand situation ethics to involve actions known and defined to be right or wrong. For example, the Bible condemns lying, stealing, drinking, and cursing. According to situation ethics, these known wrong actions can sometimes be justified as righteous actions. His example above does not even come close to addressing situation ethics, in my view. Maybe he's coming at it from a philosophical point of view, like if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around, does it still make a noise? I don't think we can rightly divide the word with this type of logic. I think Chris is right. I want to read a, couple, uh, a few quotes here from Joseph. Uh, probably the best, the best known proponent of situation ethics was Joseph Fletcher. He was an Episcopal priest. Born in 1905, died in 1991. He wrote a book entitled Situation Ethics, The New Morality. Mm. Here are some quotes. He said, only one general proposition is described, namely the commandment to love God through thy neighbor. All else, all generalities, for example, tell the truth, respect life, are at, mo at most only maxims, never rules. For the situationist, there are no rules, none at all. In another place, he said, in situation ethics, even the most revered principles may be thrown aside if they conflict in any concrete case with love. Uh. He said, if a lie is told unlovingly, it is wrong, evil. If it is told in love, it is good and um, right. Well, look at that. Uh, he said, therefore, what is sometimes good may at other times be evil, and what is sometimes wrong may sometimes be right when it serves a good enough end, depending on the situation. He said any act, even lying, premarital sex, abortion, adultery, and murder could be right, depending on the circumstances. Yikes. He said the new morality, situation ethics, declares that anything and everything is right or wrong according to the situation. Wow. And so now that's what that's we've come to know ethics. as situation that's ethics. That's not tying and that's your shoes. Not, that's, that's right. That's not what, what Mr. Brenton said in his blog. And so I, I think he's... He hasn't really defined the topic that he's that he's uh, writing about. Monty, does that make you dizzy? Uh, there, anything and everything is right or wrong according to the situation. Wow, even a murder or adultery, those things are acceptable. Well, I don't, I don't see how a person could feel that way about it because this person that was defending that was supposed to be a religious person, and the Bible's very clear on every one of those subjects that he talked about, and. Jesus said, if you love me, he keeps mentioning love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's a very clear statement. And then we can look and see the commandments that talk about all those things, murder and adultery and all those things are wrong. So if we're going to get to the ultimate love, which would have to be our love for God and God's love for us, then we're going to keep those commandments. And so it doesn't matter what the situation is. Yeah. They're still either right or wrong. That's right. And uh, Jim in the chat room has used another uh, term that is not heard of very often, and that's uh, humanism. He says situation right. ethics is humanism. Really, I think it really right. is. Here's what Chris in the U.K. said this. Uh, situation ethics are those defined by Merriam-Webster as a system of ethics by which acts are judged within their context instead of by categorical principles, also called situation ethics. Or as defined by its originator, Joseph Fletcher, it, is bas it basically states that sometimes other moral principles can be cast aside in certain situations if love is best served. So it is in the context of the situation that defines the morality of the action 
So just to say stealing a car is wrong is a moral absolute statement, not a judgment, not a judgment by situation ethics. Okay. All right. Anthony says, I don't think it, it does adequately define situation ethics. Inextricably bound up in the notion of situation ethics is that sometimes wrong things are right. Uh, this is the philosophical principle that has been so roundly condemned by Christian preachers. The blogger is seeking to create his own new definition while goading, to borrow his word, those who rightly oppose true situation ethics. In light of the Bible, there are many problems and fallacies in this essay, but I don't think that I have time to list them all. All right, and Patrick in Birmingham says, I don't think that he thoroughly discussed the topic of situation ethics. For example, he did not make a clear distinction between a proper use of situation ethics and a misuse of situation ethics. And I don't know what Patrick means there. We may have to get... Patrick's in the chat room. He can yeah. just respond. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it is time for a break, and uh, the situation demands that we take it. But he goes on in his blog, and we'll talk about this after the break. He thinks he can find some examples in Scripture where situation ethics was employed. Yeah, he's Paul gonna in the circumcision uh, event Paul, when he, when he had Timothy circumcised on one occasion... And in another occasion where he, refused, where he refused to have Titus circumcised, he said that was situation ethics. That's how Paul made that decision. All right. Was Paul practicing situation ethics with Timothy and Titus in the uh, events or the accounts around the circumcising and the not circumcising? What do you think about that? We'll take a break and get your thoughts on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. While it's certainly true that we're converted to Christ, not the church, it's also true that the church is a vital part of God's plan for his people. And we know that membership in a local congregation is crucial for every disciple. Therefore, all Christians should be committed to the local congregation where they are members. With these facts in mind, what are our duties to the local church? Consider these. Number one, the congregation's reputation in the local community is very important. We cannot expect people to visit, investigate, study, and ultimately be converted if they know that individual members of the church are not living up to the standard they proclaim. If others see hypocrisy among the members of the local church, the local church will not prosper. Each and every individual Christian must be salt and light among the lost, as Jesus taught in Matthew 5, beginning verse 13. Second, no organized group can progress without good leadership. This is definitely true of the local church, but good leaders need supportive and cooperative followers. Thus, as the elders lead and guide according to God's truth, each member has a duty to submit and obey. Read Hebrews 13, verse 17. Third, there are certain financial obligations that must be met with regularity. Consequently, the members need to sense their obligation to give generously, regularly, and consistently. Read 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Though circumstances may force one's absence occasionally, extra effort should be made to make sure one's financial support to the congregation is always honored. Fourth, ultimately the very existence of any congregation depends upon the attendance of its members. The very life of the church is dictated by attendance. For this reason, every saint should feel a duty to be present at every possible service, every Bible study, every special meeting, and so forth. Each one should realize that an unexplained, unjustifiable absence strikes a blow to the energy, enthusiasm, and efficiency of the congregation. Number five, growth of the congregation depends upon new people being converted. If this is to happen, the members must grasp the importance of sharing their faith with others who are in their sphere of influence. Neighbors, co-workers, family members, to name a few, should be among those that we seek to win for Christ. Finally, number six, it is critically important that the members feel a sense of love and loyalty to every other member and to the group as a whole. Just as one would not turn their back on their physical family, neither should they callously turn away from their spiritual family. This means there will be a concerted effort to maintain peace with others. Genuine concern should be shown for those with special needs, both physical and spiritual. The brotherly love between individual saints should be open and obvious. It is, after all, a sign of our discipleship, according to Jesus in John 13, verse 35. When a Christian leaves a local church without good reason, it is an indication he did not have a sense of loyalty that is so necessary if the church is to succeed. We hope we will all consider seriously our duties to the local congregation we're members of. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. 
Gracias. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The virtual Bible study. Take it away, guy. Hey, did you? That, are you tired from that bullet point? That was that was long. Long bullet did you point. Have to, did you have to turn the tape over, Monty, to get all that in? Was three it a, times. Three times. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we appreciate you getting those bullet points together for us. We appreciate you being a part of the program tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, you can find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You can podcast recent sermons that have been presented here. Find out more information at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you're talking about situation ethics on the program. And uh, we're looking at a, a blog post that was uh, written by Keith Brenton. Go, uh, to, go to Keith Brenton, Keith, K-E-I-T-H-B-R-E-N-T-O-N, keithbrenton.com, and uh, look for his blog post. His, the name of his blog is uh, A Blog in My Own Eye. You can look that up on a Google search, A Blog in My Own Eye. Okay. I think that's a play on Matthew 7, verse 5, yeah. a, a log yeah. in my eye. Okay, I get it. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, and, well, and he thinks. And, his, and we're, and again, we're not trying to keep people from reading that. No. By all means, check it out. And if you think we've taken him out of context, you know, you'll get the full context there. I don't think we have, but we, we don't have the, the full context of everything he wrote. It's rather long. But uh, he, then we're not taking this out of context. He thinks he's found an example or two of situation ethics in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. Let's look at this real quick. He, this is quote three, Monty. He said, Paul wanted to take with him on his mission trips a young man named Timothy. He had not been circumcised. In order for Timothy to enter a synagogue where Paul initially always went on those trips, he needed to be circumcised. There was nothing wrong with it. Circumcision just wasn't a prerequisite to salvation, Acts 15. Paul had Timothy circumcised, Acts 16, verse 3. On a trip back to Jerusalem, however, Titus would not be compelled to be circumcised, Galatians 2, verse 3, because it would have seemed to support that false doctrine that circumcision was a prerequisite to salvation. Is circumcision morally right or wrong? Well, obviously, in one situation, it helped the gospel. In another situation, it hindered the gospel. All right. Well, So you know, he, he says, here's, here's Paul practicing situation ethics. Monty, has he found an example of situation ethics? What do you think? I don't feel like that was situation ethics. There was a purpose to it. Uh, if he'd have been trying, if we'd have been trying to bind the circumcision, as a lot of people was, and then just didn't do it for Titus, then for a different reason, that might have been construed to situation ethics. But there was no point to having Titus circumcised. He wasn't even of Jewish descent, so it would have served no purpose other than to try to maybe bind circumcision. And Paul was dead set against that. So. All right. Uh, Jim, oh, go ahead. Nick, Nick, Nick uh, you, you, you got something ready there, Nick? Okay. Uh, Jim in, in Kentucky says the situation between Timothy and Titus is completely different because their backgrounds are different. Timothy was the son and grandson of Jewish women, according to 2 Timothy 1, 5 and 3, 15. Thus, Paul's bringing him into the synagogue compelled them to observe the Jewish customs. Speculating beyond this, it would be assumed by the Jews that Timothy, being of Jewish descent, was circumcised. But Titus was a Greek, Galatians 2, verse 3. And thus was not allowed in the synagogue to begin with. And no doubt Paul and Titus determined that it was not necessary for Titus to enter a synagogue. And so completely different situations there and because of their different backgrounds. It was a judgment call, but neither neither to do or not do them made it right or wrong. It was, it, he, Paul was reacting to, to those who would use the opportunity to teach false doctrine. Okay. Uh, Ramona says, in the first instance, it did not matter to those uh, Paul and Timothy first visited if Timothy was circumcised or not. Timothy was well-spoken, and there was no pressure. Timothy was circumcised when going to the Jews, just as Paul had in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. For the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. It was not a doctrinal issue, but a way to get close to the Jews to win them over to salvation. There were no situation ethics here, Ramona concludes. Read another one there, Jake. I'm looking up something. Okay, well, I'll read another one. Chris in Atlanta uh, says, um, no, he has not. He has not discovered a, a case of situation ethics. Circumcision in and of itself is not condemned in Scripture. If God said no, not to ever be circumcised, then yes, maybe there would be a case for situation ethics here. And Chris in the U.K., the two Chris's have chimed in tonight. We appreciate uh, their participation. Chris says, you can't make an ethical comment if you have already said it is neither good or bad already. A biblical example he could have used are Rahab's lie and David's eating the showbread, both acts having a biblical sanction attached. And we've talked about them both on the program in yeah. the past, and they do not, those are not examples of situation yeah. ethics. Rahab is not uh, not, com not commended for, for her lying, lying and David not is commended not for her harlotry either, for that matter. Right, and David's not praised for his eating of the showbread. They were both commended for... They were both committed for faith, 
Rahab in particular, her commendation was that she believed. And? And David was not, he was guilty in that matter. Jesus said that in the matter of eating the showbread, David was guilty. Yes. And his disciples, on the other hand, were guiltless in what they had done. Every character you can read about in the New Testament, with the exception of Jesus, committed sin. And if they're praised in the, in the Bible, as many characters are, they're not praised for the sins that they committed. Good point. Um, the verse I was looking for is in Galatians. Actually, there's two statements in Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 6. In, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Galatians 6.15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Okay. And so uh, the, the, it's, it's not, the Lord doesn't care whether we are circumcised or not. That's not what made the occasions that, that Paul was dealing with. That's not why he chose in one case to circumcise Timothy and Titus in another case to do something different. It was a judgment based upon how he would interact with those false teachers who were trying to sinfully bind circumcision on the Gentiles. And uh, Anthony says, unfortunately, the logic of Heath's argument is, in this section of his blog, doesn't compute. Circumcision was neither defined by God as wrong. It was an expedient for, for some to be circumcised, and expedient in other situations for some not to be circumcised. This is not an example of Paul condoning a morally wrong behavior so that a positive outcome could be achieved. I think, I think the problem is that the blogger, Keith Brenton, is working on a false premise. Uh, he, he didn't define so, uh, situation ethics correctly, and so with his false premise, this looks like situation ethics when it is not. Real quickly, here's Patrick in Birmingham. I think that a legitimate argument can be made from this example. The underlying issue is the possibility of scandal. The action, in this case circumcision, was not intrinsically evil, uh, well, well, right there. That's the issue. Circumcision wasn't wrong. It wasn't wrong. It that's, have, it that's, where, that's where he's misdefined circumcision. Yeah, uh, no, situation situations, ethics says things lies. that are explicitly wrong can, can be sometimes right. be right based on circumcision. Uh, yeah, right. uh, the uh, circumstance. Remember what Joseph uh, yeah. Fletcher said. Any act, even he, lying, premarital sex, yeah. abortion, adultery, and murder could be right depending on the circumstances. Murder is not right under any circumstances. But circumcision is not wrong under any circumstance. Yes. Um, but Paul chose one time to do it and another time not because he was anticipating the reaction of false teachers who were trying to bind circumcision, which would have been a sin to bind circumcision. And Paul was just trying to short-circuit their arguments that they might use against him. But circumcision, per se, was not was never wrong. It, yeah. would have, it wouldn't have been wrong for him to circumcise Titus. It wasn't right for him not to, and it would have been wrong for him if he did have Titus circumcised. That case doesn't stand. Uh, um, let's go on here with Patrick's uh, answer. The, the, the action in this case, circumcision, circumcision, was not intrinsically evil, but there was a risk that it could cause others to become confused regarding true doctrine or to su suspect hypocrisy in church leaders. A prudent judgment had to be made. I, I think that's, that's a good explanation, Patrick. He said, to illustrate my point, a few years ago there was a natural disaster in a country overseas. A well-known Christian charitable organization desired to aid the people who were affected by this natural disaster. However, they did not have infrastructure in place in the region and so were unable to provide the aid directly themselves. There was another organization they had worked with in the past, but which in recent years had begun to publicly promote certain things such as abortion, which is contrary to Christian teaching. But they did have infrastructure in place in the region affected by the disaster. The leaders of the... Christian charitable organizations sought counsel regarding what to do. They ensured that any money sent to the other organization would be used only for disaster relief and not for the promotion of things contrary to Christian teaching. The counsel they sought advised them that in this particular situation it could be morally legitimate to provide the money to this other organization for disaster relief except for one caveat. They sternly warned them that there was a very serious possibility of scandal because other people might suspect the Christian charity of supporting abortion and other evils. The charity decided to donate the money to the second organization. The people affected by the disaster were helped, but just as they were warned, scandal did occur, and even to this day, years later, they're still very concerned about supporting the charity because of what happened. It has been a sort of PR nightmare for that charity. I would contrast such situations where a morally neutral or morally good act is being weighed in light of circumstances which could potentially make it evil with a morally evil act being weighed in light of circumstances. It is true that circumstances can make a normally good act evil, it is never true that a morally evil act can be made right by circumstances. I agree. Usually when we speak of situation ethics, we think only of the latter, and that is why situation ethics is so often considered bad. But when considering the former application of situation ethics, it can be seen that there is a proper use of it. 
Well, I think there's a difference here. I mean, uh, I think the one thing that Patrick is talking about is making judgments. And we're all called upon to make judgments. The other is situation ethics. And in situation ethics, morally sinful things are sometimes considered not sinful. And so there is a difference. I agree with Patrick. We have to make good judgments. And I really think that's what Paul was doing in the case of Titus and Timothy. We're called upon to make those kind of judgments as well. But it never makes a morally wrong act right based upon circumstances. All right. All right. Uh, guest 656 uh, is in the chat room, and he's he's or he or she is concerned with you. Guest 656 says, because Greg implied that Mr. Britton refused to come on out of fear, how different would the question have been if Greg would have said, what do you think of Mr. Britton's refusal to come on knowing that his wife is gravely ill? First off, you did not know that his wife is gravely ill. Secondly, you did not imply that he did not come on because of fear. You didn't know his, his motives. I used his own words. I said, I'm disappointed that we're not going to have this discussion, and I'm surprised, based upon what you said, that you don't fear those who disagree with you about this. Yes, and the Ingress 656 goes on and says, Right, Jim, you're calling Greg good when he totally misrepresented Mr. Brenton. I read the article, and I'm not in agreement with what Mr. Britton said, but being bullied around by Greg isn't right either. You weren't bullying him around. I, I, I think that this guest, 656, may very well be Simon Barjona. Uh, and I just I, I, he's reading way more into my words than, than are there. You're not bullying. I just invited him, courteously invited him to discuss our differences. And when he said no, I said, okay, but I'm surprised based on the fact that you said that you don't have any fear of those who disagree. You didn't know his wife was gravely ill. That was posted after you made your response. Exactly, it looks like. Exactly. And, uh, so uh, again, we have uh, we we are very sympathetic with that. And we and 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 if knowing that, uh, I wouldn't want to come on the program either. And I I don't blame him for not coming on the program, that, given that being the the circumstance. I yeah, mean, that's right. That's that, right. Yeah. So uh, no, that's that's fine. Uh, and we were just six, really, we were really just trying to illustrate the point. And and and. I, I, my guess is that Mr. Britton has a very good reason that he doesn't have time to be with us tonight. We understand that with his wife yes, being yes, so right, seriously right. ill. We were trying to highlight the point is if you're going to put something out there publicly, be ready to defend it. Now, if, if Mr. Britton had explained, oh, I'm, I'm really covered up right now. We've just found out my wife is terminally ill. I mean, we would understand that in a yeah. minute. Okay. We need to take a break. Uh, 656, hope you understand where we're coming from. We're not trying to be ugly. Uh, let's take a break, Monty, and then we'll go to the top of the hour. We've, we've got uh, two more questions to go in a short yeah, time to we do. we got to hurry. Let's go quick. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So if you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church, but you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more, there's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 62% of adults aged 66 and older believe that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know about living a meaningful life. But that's down to 54% among those who are aged 47 to 65. It's only 44% among those aged 28 to 46. And it drops even further to 34% for those who are aged 18 to 27. That information is via Religion Today. 
The Word of God says in 2 Timothy 3, beginning verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program tonight. we got uh, to go fast. Let's gotta go. fly. Here's the fourth quote. Fourth quote, Monty. Uh, I ask, what is the truth about moral absolutes and, quote, our own ethics? Because here's what the blogger Keith Brinton said. He said, it is so vitally important that we understand that this world of choices was never created in moral black and white or even just shades of gray, but in every conceivable, perceivable color and hue and shade and texture and sound and smell. God put us in our situations to be able to discern good from evil, too, to act out our own ethics and learn from the experience. That's one problem I have with this whole idea and this blog is that the idea that right and wrong and good and evil is so difficult and it's so murky that we can never know if I'm doing the right thing or not. It, it, Nick, it's just one of those things. i got to learn. How, how i got to edit this. By my experience, oh, i got to yeah, kind of. I'm just going to have to wing it here. I don't figure, know. i got to figure it out. Yeah. I, I think immediately of, of what Jesus said to those disciples in John 8, 31. You know, if he said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Right. Indeed. So to be a follower of Christ, we have to know what is you know what he's teaching for us to follow him and verse 32 says uh, you can know the truth and the truth can set you free now i may not know the truth but jesus gives us confidence there that in every situation we can know what is right and what right. is wrong exactly. and so there's you know these shades of gray and all of that is what people throw out there is that we can't understand and we may not understand the truth but the point jesus is making is you can understand it, the truth. It, yeah we uh, we may fail in it but it's not because the truth is inadequate it's because of our approach to it i think you're right I, Nick. I think ephesians 5 verse 17 would have no meaning you know when he says be not unwise but wise understanding the will of the lord if the lord's will is not understandable then uh you know god would be giving us something we couldn't understand so it is understandable i just may not understand it but it is understandable in hebrews chapter 5 beginning verse 12 the hebrew writer says for the time you ought to be teachers you have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of god and are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a babe but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How are we supposed to discern both good and evil? Well, because we, we, we've got to become skillful in the word, he said. The problem was that they weren't skillful in the word. They, and, and so they needed to be better acquainted with the word, better able to use it in their lives, and through it they would know good from evil. All right, we need to go quickly through some answers. We'll skip some, uh, and sorry we have to do that, but for purposes of time. Jim says that this is pure speculation. Jesus taught there are only two ways to go to heaven, the broad way and, or the narrow way, Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Even Mr. Brenton speaks of good and evil, right or wrong. Where is his every conceivable, perceivable color and hue and shade and texture when it comes to discussing these things? Is If there are more than one right or wrong, what are they? Almost right? Mostly right? Sometimes wrong? Let him describe these things and provide evidence rather than make it a broad statement which he refuses to defend. And Ramona says there are not shades of gray in the Bible. It is indeed black and white. If we read and study the Bible, we will find that out. We cannot act out our own ethics. We need God's word to guide us. Black and white, period. I do not want my own ethics, but God's ethics done with love. All right. And uh, let's see. Anthony says this is one of several statements in the essay that is uh, directly in contradiction with the Bible. The world of, and he goes on, the world of choices was never made, uh, never created in moral black and white. Seems to run counter to the fact that God created Adam and Eve and gave them an extremely black and white law. Not to mention the tree of which they ate was that of knowledge of good and evil. It was not a tree of the knowledge of good, evil, and in between. I don't say this to sound flippant or rude, but rather to be as simple as I can. There are situations that present real challenges to our human hearts and minds, but this doesn't mean that in these situations something God has defined as wrong can be right. All right, and and for sake of time, we're just going to have to let that sampling of responses be enough and get to our last quote, quote number five, Monty. Uh, I asked the question, are we left to determine for ourselves what is right? Here's what Mr. Brenton wrote in his blog. He said, in matters clearly defined by Scripture, follow Scripture. It is God's word, God's revelation of his very nature and his will for us, but it is, a, it is not a mere rule book. It does not cover every possible and conceivable action. 
let alone every situation in which that action can be taken. If you're not sure about any action you feel compelled to consider, uh, see, if you're not sure about any action you feel feel compelled to consider, a doctrine you've been taught, you can't find it in Scripture, not everything God would like to see us do and become is explicitly spelled out there, then measure it by this golden rule. In other words, if you're unsure, here's the rule, the golden rule. Do it to others as you would have them to do unto you. So, uh, in other words, he's saying, the, the, the key part of that quote is, um, it does not cover every conceivable action, let alone every situation in which that action can be taken. And he said, uh, not everything God would like to see us do and become is explicitly spelled out in Scripture. Ah. Uh, so we've well, got to come up with our own conclusion. Ramona has a big problem with that. She says, this was the part of the blog that I did not like because I believe everything we need is in the Bible. Second Peter 1, verse 3. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. She says, if we have a problem uh, or something which may or may not, of which, uh, knowing what may or may not be a sin, stay away from it. This is what I would say would be the golden rule. By not doing it, I am doing for others as I would have them do for me. I'm really disturbed by the suggestion that not everything God would have us to do and become is found in the Bible. Where is it? Second Peter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. And Nick is, uh, Nick is ready to comment. Nick. Also in Second Timothy 3, it, uh, 16 and 17, it says all scripture will provide you know, what a man of God will need to be completely furnished unto every good work. If it's so, not in the Bible, where do we find it? How do I know what God wants me to do? It would have to come from human wisdom uh, yeah, or that, some other source. That maybe what he's alluding to. Yeah. Uh, Chris in Atlanta. That's right. Chris in Atlanta says John, uh, Jesus states in John 14, 15 that if we love him, we should obey him. The Bible is God's complete and final word for us that contains everything we need to know about living in a manner God intends and therefore tells us everything we need to know on how to obey. I do not believe God would leave us in an in, uh, leave us an incomplete Bible that would leave us guessing about what we should do. I firmly believe the Bible is com- a complete work that we can use for any situation we encounter. This highlights the importance of studying the Bible, learning all we can so we can ensure we are obeying God's will. Right. Oh, Monty's got his hand up. Sorry, Monty. While the Bible doesn't necessarily spell out every action or the whatever, as he put this in here, it's not just a mere, it doesn't co- cover every situation or conceivable action. That's true, but it does provide us with principles, godly principles, that we can come to a righteous judgment about every conceivable situation or action that we may find ourselves in. I think you're right, Mike. That's very much along the lines of what Jim said. He said, uh, no, for even Mr. Brenton uses Scripture to determine what to do in situations where he's uncertain. Do unto others, Matthew seven twelve. If he would employ this in every circumstance, maybe he would find that his color and hue and shade and texture will dissolve into white and black and right and wrong. Uh, you know, when we apply the principles of the word, we get the right answer. Anthony says God may not have listed every possible action and situation, whether it's right or wrong, but he sets forth principles by which we can determine the morality of a given course of action. I'm com- uh, confused by the essay because in one place he says that a book of rules would violate the very nature of God. Yet later, he says, in matters clearly defined by Scripture, follow Scripture. To me, these thoughts are contradictory, meaning no disrespect. The more I read this essay, the more incoherent it seems in the technical sense of the word. And then Patrick and... Let me get Chris in UK. He he simply referenced the Scripture that Nick did, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Uh, We're to do what God wants us to do. He's left us enough guidance to do it. And, And then Patrick in Birmingham says, No, God did not intend that. While I would like Mr. Brenton to have the opportunity to clarify his position in case this is not what he meant, I must say that his conclusion is wrong. If that is what he meant, personal experience has value in that it validates the truth of God's word regarding good and evil, but it does not have an authority to dictate good and evil. All right. We're out of time, Jacob. Uh, we hope that the discussion's been helpful. This this question, this this philosophical position of situation ethics has been batted around for a long time. Uh, it's, it's in error, and any sympathy for the position is in error. We need to understand that. <coughs> we we highlighted this blog by Keith Brenton and just tried to show how some people are using this concept. Uh, we did not mean to be mean or bullying him. <coughs> Excuse me. And we talked a good bit about that. And certainly very sorry that his wife is so seriously ill. We are. And uh, 
All right. Well, before you get coughed up, choked up there, it's just the end of a program. We do this every week. There's no reason to be upset. Lord willing, we'll be back next week. You'll be all right, though. Hold it together. Monty, thank you for driving on the board tonight. Appreciate you being here. And Nick, thank you for joining us. Glad that you're here as well. Thanks for having me. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you for joining us on the program. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.